Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, a crisis. Ministers in personalised hivers with a clear message. Our housing market is stuffed. Our cities are failing. This blunt message has come from the government as it starts a new approach to urban planning. We can't really underline just how dysfunctional New Zealand's housing market is. Curbing expectations. I thought I'd always buy a house with a huge section, a weatherboard white picket fence, just that kind of Kiwi dream. It took a while for me to get my head around the fact that if we wanted to own a house, that wasn't going to happen because in Auckland, land is key. The more land, the more it costs. No one has lived on a quarter acre for 30 years, except my grandmother in Hastings. (laughs) and necessity as the mother of invention. We are basically a group of currently 16 households that we're aiming for 22 who are building an apartment building in Wellington together. We have other priorities in mind like a big shared garden, shared workshop, shared living space in addition to our own living spaces. Finding a suitable home in urban New Zealand has never been more difficult or more expensive. And our population sure ain't getting any smaller any time soon. But recently, real estate agents are seeing a shift in attitudes, with buyers choosing city apartments and city fringe terrace houses to own and occupy. So, are people finally getting on board with scaling down? Bill Mackay is a senior lecturer at Auckland University School of Architecture, and he's currently researching Auckland's urban design. I asked him just how important it is to radically change how we think about housing in our biggest city. Well, desperate. And it's not just young people, it's uh, nurses, you know, the people in the shops, all of them. It affects everyone, absolutely everyone. What are the unique factors to now that are so important? I think a lot of people say to me, why don't we just build more houses? The first Labour government built 30,000 state houses in their first term, but we're not the homogenous population that we were then. We need more diversity, and Auckland is a super diverse city. And the second thing is they had a command and control economy with the Second World War going on, and, uh, you know, we're in a different market-driven world now. You say we're not homogenous and we need more diversity. What do you mean? Uh, So Auckland, 200 languages are spoken here. 50% of Aucklanders come from somewhere else. So we've got kind of like ethnic diversity, which is very apparent in Auckland, biggest city in Polynesia. Mm -hmm. But also as well, families are different. So we've got much more kind of like split families, divorced couples. Mm -hmm. And then we have blended families where suddenly you've got seven kids or something like that. So, you know, the most common couple, I think, Stats New Zealand said last year was two people, a couple without kids. Without kids? Yeah. Ah. And kind of like we're always thinking about mum, dad and two kids. Not the same anymore. Not anymore. No. But like how, how does a more diverse city affect mm. the kinds of buildings that that city needs? Yeah. So <clears throat> we everywhere in New Zealand committed itself to the car after the Second World War. Uh, the American model of the suburb and use the car. We got rid of public transport, trams in Auckland, that sort of thing. So I think we've got plenty of suburbs. If you want a big backyard, you can 
find one somewhere. We've got lots of that. We need more medium density and high density, particularly around public transport routes. Traditionally, what Mm. sorts of properties have been built in Auckland? Well, people were always talking about, and this annoys me, um, the end of the quarter-acre dream. In the 1970s, when I lived in Hastings and went to high school, I had to mow my grandmother's quarter-acre every week, and it was a waste of space and a waste of time. And there were townhouses going up next door to her, and she thought it was the beginning of the end townhouses being bad, you know, how can you have a whole family living in a kind of like two, three-storey building with, you know, much reduced backyards and things like that? Now we're looking at apartments and people going, I would never live in one. Doesn't matter. Other people might want to live that way. Increasingly young people and empty nesters. People's housing needs are changing and Bill Mackay says dwellings need to change too to suit those needs. I'm a big fan of apartments, which is not something we're particularly used to in New Zealand, historically. But we go to Melbourne, we go to Sydney and we see them. Apartments are much more publicly friendly because you end up with cafes and bars and shops and things underneath. You might have offices there as well or on the first floor and then a stack up to seven, eight, or 30 stories in which people live. And when you've got a concentration of people there, it also generates more activity in the street and more shops and more cafes and more bakeries and that sort of thing. So I'm a big fan of apartments in Auckland now. I lived in an apartment in Paris. Yeah. And it was really expensive. Yeah. And it was tiny. Mm. It wasn't that much fun, Yeah, if I'm being honest. The other thing about apartments is that... You don't live just in the apartment. The apartment is really like your bedroom. And the city is your living room, your kitchen, and where you meet friends. So apartments can be quite tiny. Apartments are not just stacked up three-bedroom houses. So you need to be aware of that, and plus other things like noise. It must also make the provision of public green space Mm. Um, and communal areas very important? Yeah, it's absolutely crucial. And some of the best apartment developers at the moment, Ockham, for instance, they have many more community spaces in their apartment buildings rather than an expensive penthouse on the roof. There's a community lounge with a garden and you can grow some herbs. You can book it for a 21st or an anniversary or something. So the council's role is not so much to focus on the grand parks that they have over the past several decades in Auckland, but more pocket parks. So if I'm in an apartment uh, where I don't get direct sunlight in winter, I can pop down, you know, 100 metres away, sit down in the sun, read a book and drink my cup of coffee. What about public transport? How crucial is that? Public transport and uh, density go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And losing the car can make apartments $100,000 cheaper. You're not housing two storeys worth of cars. You're not digging into the ground. All sorts of things like that. And increasingly, we are seeing the end of the car in the inner city. Young people are driving less. And people are realising cars are not good for the environment. And actually, it's quicker and easier to get on public transport. So they have always gone hand in hand. 
density and public transport. Do you think apartment living is the sole preserve of the inner city? No, not necessarily, and it depends on the scale as well. So there's a bit of a rule that on a main artery like Dominion in Auckland, Dominion Road, Sandringham Road, New North Road, Great North Road, that four, five, six-storey buildings work well because buses stop every couple of hundred metres. But in places like New Lynn, where you have a train station or anywhere uh, where our rail network will take us, you can go for much higher buildings, stack them up. So, so the public transport is crucial. That is almost the thing around which it's built. Absolutely crucial. Now, one of the challenges with all this is mentally adjusting your expectations as to the type of property you think you're going to own. We actually have a good case study of that right next to our desk here at The Detail. Shannon Honui-Thompson could a to Māori or Māori strategy manager at RNZ. I thought I'd always buy a house with a huge section, um, you know, a, a weatherboard um, with a white picket fence. Not that we ever had a white picket fence, but just that kind of Kiwi dream. You know, you'd have a garden with some fruit trees, a hedge that you hate cutting, all that kind of thing. I was That was the mental picture I had in my head. And it was just, a, it took a while for me to get my head around the fact that I probably, if I wanted to stay in the community I was, if we wanted to own a house, that wasn't going to happen because, you know, in Auckland, land is key. The more land, the more it costs. Shannon's just bought her first home, a terrace house in the Auckland suburb of Glen Innes. When all these houses come up for sale, there was a group of houses and they said, you know, this house could possibly be yours. You know, we know what your finances are and come and meet us. And then um, we were met by people from the Housing Foundation. They said, we have houses for sale. We, You know, we know that you flagged some interest uh, a couple of years ago. You know, here you are. Would you like to buy this? When I first saw the pictures, I have to say, I was kind of, it's not what I thought I'd ever buy. Yeah. Why? It's a two-story, there is no section, it's very, well, there's a really tiny section, it's not a weatherboard, it's very um, close to our neighbours, we're very lucky that it's detached, but, you know, it's still very close, you would still call it where we're living, terraced housing. It was very compact living, there was a lot of houses all in one area, we're sharing a driveway, all those kind of things, so I just think the initial picture of it, I just couldn't get, it took me a while, like it took me probably a week when yeah. I say a while to get my head around that we're going to be living in a very modern home. I never thought that I'd ever be living in a modern home because I've never lived in one. But yeah, I think um, we realised with the current climate, this was our opportunity and we kind of had to take it. There's definitely a difference in vibe because there's so many more people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's going to take a while to get to know all your neighbours. I think the green, having a public green space is really important because of the intensification. Um, we're like exact where we are, the actual section that our house is on. Um, I remember that section um, when I was growing up. There was one house on that section. There's now f- five. Um, so, But we're really lucky where we are outside our front door is... Uh, purposefully allocated green space it gets used so much Mm. it's fantastic and then actually it's really really cool because you know the local kids including my own are out there on their skateboards or their scooters or their bikes you know and 
Um, you know, you get to know who has dogs and who doesn't because all the dog walkers go through there. So we're really lucky um, that we have this green space and just from that, the green space actually leads to a purposefully built um, waterfront walkway, I would call it, around the waterfront of Point England Beach. So, you know, a lot of thought has gone about around how, yes, okay, we are building a lot more houses, we're squashing a lot more people into this little area. However, there's some amazing green spaces and we've just recently opened a little playground amongst all the houses as well. So that's been used a lot. But I think it's really important. They're going to have those kind of spaces and they're changing what housing looks like in New Zealand. I think it's really important that you have those spaces so people can throw a ball around and kick a ball around. You know, the kids got somewhere to throw their rugby ball around or kick the soccer ball because in the current... In our current backyard, that's not going to happen without them breaking a window, if not ours or one of the neighbours, you know. I think we need to focus more on life cycles of people. It's not one size fits all where you go and live in one house for life. If you're a young couple, you want one thing. You can have a baby in an apartment building and for the first year or two, it's fine. But at some stage, you will probably want to go to the suburbs Later on, when the kids leave home and they don't come back, (laughs) then you want to move back into town. So different people at different stages of life need different things. One of the points that you bring up is the idea of co-housing, particularly for students and young people. Our guest now, the co-housing advocate Robin Allison, who has envisaged and built an alternative way of living. Her Earthsong eco-neighbourhood is based in West Auckland at Ranui. Here, individuals and families live in a kind of curated community, enjoying the perks that come with pooling resources, including cooking for each other. Earthsong is a 32-home eco-neighbourhood based on the co-housing model, and what that means is that people own and and live in their own households, and we also have a range of common facilities, like a, a big, beautiful common house and lots of shared gardens, etc. Tell me a bit about that. Um, So co-housing is on a spectrum with co-living at one end and co-housing at the other. Co-living is, if you imagine sharing a flat, you've got your own bedroom, but you might share a bathroom in the kitchen. At the other end of the spectrum, we have a kind of like a development with maybe 10, oh, I've seen them as low as five couples, up to about 20 happening at the moment. And there you own your own apartment or house, because they can be low-rise as well, but you have a big common space. Rather than those stupid little side yards that you would have in a suburban house, you amalgamate all that green space, and you can have gardens, orchards, all sorts of stuff. So it's much more of a community, and they're much more diverse than people think. Co-housing is very popular in Europe and increasingly in the UK and the US. And one of the big advantages of co-housing is that uh, you get a mix of people there, you get a community of like-minded people, but the problem is the banks don't understand it, the council don't understand it, the neighbours don't understand it. They think it's a cult or a commune or something like that. Is that a wider sort of issue, property conservatism in New Zealand? Like, we've always done things this way, that's how we'll do it in the future? Yeah. So, again, um, you know, all the time you're seeing the end of the quarter-acre dream. No one has lived on the quarter-acre for 30 years, except my grandmother in Hastings. (laughs) 
So it's really we need to be a bit more forward-looking. But the problem is the people who get in early, the developers who get in early, often do cowboy rubbish. You know, so it's like the leaky homes crisis, except at a bigger scale, and people are wary of that. You talked before about how a lot of the property in New Zealand was developed at a time when the car was king. Yes, um, but increasingly, when I, as a boomer, was young, cars were freedom. They enabled you to accelerate away from home. Uh, but to young people these days in big cities, not the regions, but in big cities, cars are a burden. They're an expense that you don't need because an Uber, a scooter, anything like that is easier and cheaper. Cars take up way more space than people think in the city and in the suburbs. They eat up so much land and they actually add cost to your dwelling. That's kind of being addressed by the government, uh, the new government regulations though, right? Yeah, the new national policy statement will ensure that uh, no councils can insist that you must have minimum car parking there. Uh, And people are a bit horrified by that, but actually what it means is it's more demand-driven. If I'm a middle-class person in a middle-class area, I want a couple of car parks. If I'm a young person looking at the property, I don't need the car parks, and they will make it cheaper. Why aren't we doing this now? Like, what are the impediments to, you know, the Bill Mackay vision? It's a good question, and... um, People use the phrase, um, we need to move all the levers at the same time. So, for example, with co-housing, sure, if the council understood it and allowed that development to happen, where do you get the funding from? Because the banks might not understand it. And then the neighbours will not quite understand it. So we need to get everyone on the same page and make it simpler. And certainly um, simplifying the Resource Management Act and making planning permission easier would go a long way towards allowing more innovation. The RMA is great for protecting the environment, but in an urban situation, not so necessary. It's hampering. We're seeing an interesting situation unfold in Wellington at the moment. Heritage advocates say proposed changes to building regulations in Wellington will destroy the capital's architectural feel. But while some want to preserve history, others say time's up and people need modern, affordable housing. What do you think about that? We've seen Housing New Zealand knocking down one house and uh, rebuilding three. And I totally support that. The problem with those is uh, they send the people away from their community and they never come back again. Uh, if we can do that and keep community knitted together, great. I'm a big supporter of heritage, but on the other hand, as having been a practising architect for many years, um, many of our houses are poor quality and it costs a lot. I wrote a book on state housing, but I am the first to say bowl them because they're not up to standard. We have major problems with mould, respiratory illness in young people, all sorts of things like that. Within the bureaucracy, there are people who are coming at it from your 
perspective, yeah. from a more future thinking mm. perspective. But the rules and regulations that dictate what you can and can't do aren't mm. necessarily keeping up with that speed of thought. Uh, totally agree. In fact, uh, with the current government, we're seeing a bit more um, flexibility and uh, openness to new ways of doing things. One, for example, is reducing the number of building consents required so that you can put a tiny house on your grandparents' back section or something like that. I mean, yesterday, just before we talked to you, Bill, we got a colleague and who's just bought her first house, and it's a townhouse. Mm. She grew up in a state house mm. with that big sort of quarter-acre block, and she was saying that, like, she always wanted to have a house with, you know, that would resemble that house that she kind of grew up in, and it took a while, but she really did have to kind of adjust her mentality. Like, is that something that we just have to do? Yes, I think so, but it's always expressed in a bad way, you know, rather than a good way. So, come on, I see it as more possibilities um, in which you can kind of, like, address diversity and find particularly what you want rather than a one-size-fits-all. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Bill Mackay and Shannon Honui-Thompson. Ka kite ana. Do I just have to let go of the idea that I'm going to have a quarter acre block? It's just In not... central Auckland, yes, probably. Yeah. I've let go of that. I think everyone should.